Um, well, I am glad we get to be together, even if we're distant. And um, I, I wondered if we could start a new tradition. Let's see if you guys can catch on. For a moment, I want you to think, just for a second, pretend this was Easter. And what would happen if this was Easter? Okay, here we go. He is born! There we go. New tradition. He is born. He's born. Thank you. I wanted you to have just a moment of, uh, of sort of feeling light and joyous because I'm going to now um, sort of see if I can change that for you. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was telling Peter, I don't, <laughs> this sounds terrible. Christmas is not my thing. All right, now, if Christmas is your thing and you are filled with joy today, please know I do not want, I'm not trying to talk you out of that. I'm not trying to diminish your joy. But for some reason, especially this time of year, I, am, I really am drawn to those folks who are lonely or depressed or addicted, those who are suffering from grief. I think about the orphan. I think about the person from the large family but who feels like an orphan. For the newly divorced, for those who are married but feel trapped, for those who are single and can't believe that once again they face another Christmas that they never dreamed they would be facing alone. I think about those whose brain just needs more chemicals and for those who have brains that have too many chemicals. I, I, I have friends who this will be their first Christmas without the person that they have loved so much. And then I think about my friends who have faced countless Christmas with the person that they have loved so much. I know people like me were tricky. I know this whole idea of, of people who struggle with Christmas, we're a tricky group. We could be lonely and you you invite us in. You, you, you are empathetic, and you see that, and you, and you invite us in. And for some, that makes the loneliness even worse, to feel like that fifth wheel, to feel like the person who is needy. But at the same time, it may be exactly what we need. It's a tricky time, Christmas. I don't want to take away your joy. Please know that. But it's just such a weird season for me. Um, like maybe many of you, I, I, I just loathe the unabashed consumerism that begins now before Halloween. That there is now, it is synonymous, this, this season that is sacred to us as followers of Jesus. It is synonymous with debt. <laughs> what a weird thing. More people will go into debt that they may never recover from during Christmas than almost any other time of year. And I'm sorry, I can't join you if this is important to you in your campaign to keep Christ in Christmas. I, I'm trying to get him out of it. I'm trying to not associate him with what we now call Christmas. I'm happy to trade Christmas for Easter. I kind of wish, if I got to be in charge of everything, that Easter would be when we gave all our presents 
And Christmas would be a time that was filled with the things that I do like, quiet contemplation, candlelight services. I can't believe that we celebrate sometimes a moment when a, as Peter and Chris have already mentioned, a, an, ed, an unwed teenager from the wrong zip code can't get one person to just nudge over a little bit in their bed. That not one person can, can, can see the, the absolute despair she must be in. And to think 2,000 years later, we have made no progress in that area. If you are not part of the shining esteemed, and if you're from the wrong zip code, I don't think your chances are much better today. And so, to honor all of that, I have picked what must be the most depressing Christmas verse in the Bible. In fact, you could look long and hard, and you're not going to find in any reference this scripture connected with Christmas. But we're going to today. And I hope that it will be helpful for us. So this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll begin reading here in a moment in verse 9. Oh, just a, you know, just a little bit of context and why maybe this is appropriate in 2020 there is um, our friend here our beloved apostle Paul who's writing this letter this will be his last Christmas he's most likely just a few months from death for sure less than a year it's because, you see, he's, he, he, he's at, a, at a time in history where the, the ruler is literally crazy. And, and to avoid and to, to sort of displace all the attention on how bad things are going in Rome, he has begun this popular campaign of blaming Christians for everything that happens. And Paul is caught up into that, that sweep. It started as sort of a noble sort of protest. He was going to sort of defend his rights. But this really has nothing to do about his rights anymore. This is simply expedient, his death. And you don't have to look too deeply to sense he knows this. He, in fact, has a pretty good idea this will be his last Christmas. And so we're going to learn from this person who is living in a time of incredible unrest, unfairness, and chaos. What it would be like to have our last Christmas and what would we really want and what would be good to learn or to know or to meet that day. Let me read for you. Do your best to come to me quickly. He is writing, by the way, I should say, to his protege, to 
his mentee, Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Lucas with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and especially the parchment. Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done, and you should to be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, said, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can probably guess, you know, a little Spoiler alert, as I already sort of foreshadowed, uh, this doesn't end like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> this doesn't have that typical, you kind of know what's coming, but they keep you feeling tense about it, and then at the end it feels so good when everything wraps up in a nice little bow. No, we're not going to learn what most people would call the true meaning of Christmas, but we will learn, hopefully, the truer meaning of Christmas. So, as we look into this person's last Christmas, I'm wondering if we can look at maybe some of the gifts that he had acquired over time and knew to value. One gift that I would hope for in my life is the courage to be able to ask for what I need. Now this sounds strange. You would think that would come easy. Think about your own life. Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever some afternoon sat and, and felt alone? I assume you have. Here's my question. Did you pick up the phone and tell somebody that you were lonely? Did you call somebody and say, listen, I'm feeling very lonely. I'm wondering, would you come be with me? Our friend Paul is in prison here. Prison's a little different. I mean, it's not, it's no great season. It's, but prison was, you were confined in some way, house arrest, or could be incarcerated in, in some jail. But but your, your sustenance was dependent on the people around you, people who loved you or your friends or your family. The, the quote, government provided nothing. And Paul is literally to live. He needs others. 
I find it fascinating because I, I know that in this time, especially for Christians, food was very difficult to come by. It must have been horribly difficult. They must have been incredibly malnourished. But he asks for what he knows he needs more than anything, his companion. He wants to see his friend. And he has the courage, although he is the great apostle, to say, I'm lonely, and I need you. I'm cold. Would you bring, would you bring my coat? I'm bored. Would you bring my books? Would you bring my writings and others' writings? When was the last time you were cold or lonely or bored and you asked somebody to help you? You see, the great sin in the church we know of is not some moral failure. The thing that we most fear is to be called the person who is needy. We value, it seems above almost anything, our independence and our freedoms to not need anyone else. When I was um, first a follower of Jesus, there was... Um, like the world's smallest youth group. There was me and just a couple other guys. And one of the other guys is the one who invited me into relationship with Jesus. And um, there was three, maybe sometimes there were four of us that we hung out quite a bit together. And then after high school, you know, we kind of went our own ways. Um, about 15 years after high school, I got a call from my friend, Kenny, who was one of that group of three. And he said, Carl, Jeff has died. And I I mean, we, I was, we were so young. He was so young. This was, he was 35 years old. I couldn't believe it. And he said, um, yeah, he told me his story. You see, his story was that he um, had become involved in sort of a, a rough life, had a couple of kids. He loved those kids, and he loved his wife. But because of some of the choices he made, he lost the kids, he lost the marriage. His depression became so deep that he began to find the one drug that would seem to help, and that was food for him. He ate so much that he became incapacitated. He could no longer move. He couldn't get out of bed, and yet he would have food delivered to him. And at the end of his life, he literally died of obesity, He'd gone blind from the diabetes, but he couldn't stop. Now, I'm not saying that to in any way shame my friend. We all find weird ways to meet our needs. If I were to ask you, if your friend, like my friend, had, if he had called me, I know for certain that I would have gone. I would have gone to help him. I would have been there with him. If your friend from high school who you loved, were to call you and say, I'm in desperate need, would you come? What would you do? You would go. But what's typical is it's 
probable that like Jeff, you wouldn't call. Paul, as the wise old saint, knows it takes courage to ask. But it's a marvelous gift to have, to ask for what you need. Our friend had this gift, this present, of being able to be truthful without being bitter. I've struggled with that. I, I, I can be truthful, but when I'm truthful sometimes, I can, I, I'm accompanied with the bitterness that comes with me telling my truth. And to avoid the ickiness of feeling bitter, I tend to not be truthful. I tend to gloss over. I tend to um, make less of what was my experience. Because when I really feel my experience, I can become bitter. As you heard me reading these words, this letter, our friend was pretty honest. He was pretty honest about what happened to him, about the people that had hurt him. He was honest about his pain. But I don't sense that he was bitter. I don't sense that he was trying to even the score by telling the story. He was just being honest. Now, there's, of course, in every great Christmas story, there's the, the big finale, as there is here. There's the present that supersedes all the other presents. There's, like in our family, I don't know about yours, you got the socks and the underwear, you got the toothbrush, you know, the things that you're going to get anyhow, but it was fun for mom to wrap and you to unwrap. But the very last present was always what? That was, the, for us, that was the home run. That was the one. The one we'd been really hoping for. Ah, there's a little similarity here, too. The one present that describes this season better than any present. The present that, well, without it, there are no other presents. I'll remind you with these words. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And so through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly home. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I have one story that I've maybe told more than any other story. Maybe I've told it here. I don't remember. It's the one story that both happened at Christmas and is my best experience and my best way to explain Christmas to somebody. For years, my wife's family had a tradition of going down to um, Durango for the Christmas season. Her granddad, back in the 70s, had bought the very first condo that was being built at a ski area called Purgatory at that time. It's about 20 miles outside of Durango. And 
So when I entered into the family, I got to be part of this marvelous tradition of every Christmas spending at the family condo. And my children, of course, then became part of that experience as they grew up, and so the whole, the whole thing was about skiing. Now, my children, therefore, began skiing at a pretty young age, three, four years old. Because they were so young and skiing was, you know, it's a little bit of a hazardous endeavor, I, I taught them two rules. Um, rule number one is you don't ski past dad. Like, you, you, you know, I'm, all, I'm usually, you don't ski past dad or mom. There's going to be one in the back, one in the front. You stay in between. All right? And it's rule number two. Don't ski near the edge. Stay in the middle. That's it. That's it. So we were doing our thing. We were out skiing and having a good time. And we were going, if you're a skier, you'll understand this. We were going from one mountain to the other. And, and often to make that transition, there's what they call a catwalk. It's, a, it's, it's not really a fun place to ski, but it's, it's a way to get across to the next mountain, to the next lift that'll take you up higher. And so we were doing that. We were going over to Mount, uh, Peak 8. I, I remember that and done it, you know, hundreds of times. And so... For some reason, I had this instinct to stop as I came out of the catwalk, and I was still quite, quite a ways away, and I could see the lift line that went into peak eight to that lift. And, you know, they were, look, people looked small, but I could recognize April's coat and her hat, and I saw her slide on into the line. And then I saw Carla, and I, I saw her, you know, she always had this little pink outfit, and I could see her doing her snow plow into the line. And, and then Brandon, my son, my, my youngest, I was waiting for him. And I couldn't find Brandon. No Brandon. And I waited. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And April began to wait. I could see her move to the side. And here I am way up here, and she's way down there. And we can't find our, at this time, six-year-old boy. The catwalks are often somewhat narrow, and so I've moved to the side. And I'm desperately trying to listen. I'm calling out his name, Brandon! And I'm listening, to, is there any response? But, but skiing makes a noise, and as people are going by, you know, you hear this shoo, shoo, And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hear with all my energy, and I shoo, And I think I hear something, you know? Shoo, shoo, but I'm not sure what I hear. And there's this long pause, finally, there, there's no skiers, and I hear, Dad! Very clear who this was. And I could pinpoint the sound, but I didn't see the boy. And so am I, am I, am I coming towards him and towards that sound. I look off the edge of the catwalk and probably 15 feet below, there's my boy stuck in deep powder on a very steep edge. And being the parent that I am, and I don't want to lose this teaching opportunity, I, of course, stand at the top of that, and I say, Son, remember rule number two? 
Remember what happens when we go by the edge? Well, now you know. And being the non-helicopter parent I am, I say to him, well, good luck with that. My little six-year-old stuck. And you can see in his eyes absolute fear and dread. This is what God did for us. I mean, he could not have been, in more simple language, what would be best for us, right? Listen, I've only got, let's try this. I'll, I'll condense it for you to 10 things. Let's just try 10. You're adults. How hard can it be to remember 10 things that I'd like for you to do? None of them are off the chart difficult. None will require you having to exert some huge amount of energy. And, of course, we don't listen. And Does God stand at the edge of heaven going, hey, remember those ten things I mentioned? Good luck with that. No, of course, the minute, the minute I saw Brandon and I could see in his face his helplessness, I, I, click off my, I click off my skis and I just jump. Now, I, I should have thought through this better, but... I mean, I jump almost right on the poor kid. And it, 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 like a person who is drowning, he just scrambles to get onto me. We take his skis off, and together, I'm able to get him up the mountain. This last part that Paul talks about, that he was delivered, will be delivered, he's rescued. He says this, the Lord stood at my side. If we're going to celebrate Christmas, let's celebrate the one thing that we know to be true about Christmas. It isn't that everything wraps up nice and neat and always comes out as we expected and we get everything we hoped for. It is in the midst of our Loneliness and grief and our pain and our divorce and our unhappy marriage and all of the rest. In the midst of COVID and chaos, the Lord jumps from heaven to rescue us. And his rescue is often primarily simply his presence. No lecture His presence. Wherever you land this season, with great joy and, and happiness and good memories, I'm so happy. Or whether for you it is painful to once again come round to this season where you feel so left out and so disenfranchised. Either, regardless of where you are in the spectrum, his gift to you is always the same. It's his presence. His presence is the ever-present present. Lord, we all have the ability and the stories and the experiences of being rescued by your presence. If only we would look to see it. Oh Lord, how many times have I wanted to just Oh, spiral in to my own darkness, my own thoughts. Oh God, how many times have I sinned the great sin if I can do this without your help? 
Oh, Lord, this Christmas, help me remember again that you are with me. You are with me. Help me look for you. Help me not push you away. I pray for me and I pray for my friends and I pray for this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Jesus knew that we were forgetful people. He knew that based on what he had seen from the very beginning of the story that we do need our reminders. No matter how, um, I don't know, elemental they may be or how basic it may be, we, we, we need those reminders. In some ways, I, I do think that's why he was so wise and kind and compassionate to remember, to help us remember. Every time we get together, what is the most valuable part of this story we tell called life? He came to be with us. He said, do this, well, I think you could say to remember me and to remember why. That I, 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 didn't, I didn't give you a lecture. Not to make it too contemporary, but I didn't, I didn't zoom it in. It, it wasn't Emmanuel by Zoom, it was Emmanuel by presence. Maybe you've experienced there's a big difference, isn't there? See, I think religion is sort of a, a Zoom experience, but I think the Jesus story is the one of presence. And how valuable we all know that is now, to be able to see and to touch. And so he gave us something so tangible bread and wine, we could taste it, it and we remember. He leapt from heaven, and on that night, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken from you. Do this in remembrance of me, and this is the blood of the new covenant. This is to remind you of the story, that the story of your rescue is not about you. It's not about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, promising to do better. This is the story of me coming to rescue you. And you simply receive that gift. And so we invite you to come and remember once again that God is with us. And those of you at home can remember with us that God is with us. So as you would like, you may come and take with proper social distancing, the cup, which will have the wafer already inside. And as Jesus did that night, let me say thanks. Lord, we thank you for this bread, and we thank you for this cup, and we thank you for our rescue. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen.